Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Coming up on DTNS, Apple's reason for cease and desist is all about your enjoyment. Plus, tech for measuring Archer heartbeats and share your swimming pool online. DTNS starts now. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, July 30th, 2021 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. From Dogtown STL, I'm Patrick Norton. Drawing the top tech stories from Cleveland, I'm Len Peralta. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Sarah Lane has the day off, uh, but uh, we were just having a grand old time talking about my new audiobook, Project Vera, available on Audible right now. Go check it out. Uh, you can find it at TomMerrittBooks.com as well. Uh, get that and a lot of other good stuff on Good Day Internet. If you want to know more, become a patron, patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Amazon earnings are in $15.12 per share on revenue of $113.08 billion, up 27% on the year. That might all sound good, but it was below analyst estimates. AWS generated $14.81 billion, up 37% on the year. Second straight quarter of accelerating growth for AWS. Amazon's other unit, which is uh, where their advertising is, grew 87% to $7.9 billion. Whoa. You might not have noticed, if you don't read quarterly reports, but Bloomberg noticed that Amazon was hit with the biggest ever European Union privacy fine, whopping 746 million euro. That's 888 million US. That was on July 16th. The Luxembourg National Commission for Data Protection issued the fine for violations of the EU's General Data Protection Regulation. You know it, GDPR. Amazon's second quarter SEC reports revealed the fine, and Amazon says, shocker, they strongly disagree with the ruling, yeah. uh, claiming there has been no data breach and no customer data has been exposed to any third party. If you couldn't log into Snapchat yesterday, you are not alone. Down Detector reported more than 120,000 outages. Normally, we don't cover outages because they're always done by the uh, the time we report them. But a lot of folks thought Snapchat had shut down. So if you happen to be one, no, it didn't. Snapchat tweeted, we're aware of an issue preventing some Snapchatters from logging in just before 7 p.m. And by 11 p.m., they had a fix. That's the way that stuff goes. If you still can't log in, though, Snapchat support is saying to update your app in the App Store, which is one of the reasons we want to cover this one, in case you're still locked out. NPR sources say the Israeli spyware company NSO Group temporarily blocked several of its government clients from using its software and services as it investigates possible misuse 
I'm shocked, Louie. NSO Group does not list its clients, but says it has 60 customers in 40 countries, all of them intelligence agencies, law enforcement bodies, and militaries. Security company Sentinel-1 claims to have reconstructed a July 9th cyber attack that halted Iran's train system. Building on early analysis by Podvish security researchers, they identified a new wiper called Meteor and named the overall campaign, therefore, Meteor Express. Wipers are tools that attempt to wipe drives and delete data, hence the name. Uh, The attack abused group policy to distribute a cab file to conduct the attack labs.sentinel1.com is the place to go if you want the blow-by-blow analysis you wrote this up patrick uh pretty sophisticated attack sounded like i think also at this point all attacks are sophisticated and i just wanted to tell people where to go because quite frankly if you're in it you need all the help you can get yeah uh, the analytic analysts report that Q2 Chromebook shipments increased 75% on the year to 11.9 million. Uh, if you're trying to make an argument about Windows domination, that's not going to help. HP and Lenovo remained in the top two spots, while Acer jumped to number three over Dell, which actually saw declining shipments on the year. Samsung came in number five, but saw the biggest growth, shipments up 324% on the year. All right, let's talk a little more about this Apple cease and desist. Uh, Apple sending a cease and desist would not be news. Happens every day. Well, maybe not every day. It happens a lot. Motherboard, however, got a hold of one of the cease and desist letters sent to a citizen in China warning them to stop advertising leaked, stolen iPhone prototypes on social media. So far, you're probably still wondering, okay, but people advertise these leaks all the time. What's new about Apple wanting them to stop? The letter's reasoning for why they need to be stopped goes beyond the simple issue of trade secrets and confidentiality. It states those reasons, as you would expect. Apple's letter also argues that advertising rumored or unreleased Apple products harms consumers because they won't be surprised. Here's the quote. I know, it's very sad. Apple has made every effort to take strict measures to maintain confidentiality for any information about Apple's products before their official release to ensure that every time Apple releases a new product, it can surprise the public. The secret of Apple's latest technological innovation is an important part of the company DNA. So that argument is not just about like, we don't want sad people to be uh, spoiled it's actually being used to establish the commercial value of keeping the information confidential. So this is this is about hmm. creating a legal argument of like, and when you do this, it causes people to not be surprised, and that's core to our business plan and therefore a commercial harm. So it's not as silly as it sounds, but it's unusual. Uh, Apple also argues in the letter <laughs> that leaks that aren't accurate harm consumers because third-party accessory manufacturers may develop and sell mobile phone cases and other accessories that aren't actually compatible with the unreleased products, because Apple might change something uh, in between the leak and the time they release the product. That one actually makes sense to me. Like, yeah, we, we don't want it out there. When we want it out there for people to make cases for, we'll put it out there. Uh, Patrick, what do you think about this this idea of like, but, but people won't be surprised? And that's our business. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, I was reading somebody's tweet, uh, not exactly tweet storm, but they were just really angry about way uh, movie industry controls access and kind of creates winners and losers by controlling access to previews of movies. And it was really funny because I read this whole thing and I was like, oh, he's talking about movies, not technology. Because I always think of Apple and their very carefully curated releases and images and they're basically atomic death hammer for anyone <laughs> who violates any kind of NDA uh, or, or security agreement with them. You know, I, I Apple's just looking for new and exciting ways to get what they want out of the Chinese government, dot, dot, dot. And if this works for them, 
give the lawyers a bonus and keep moving forward. You I, know, it's uh, it's I have curious. Always assumed that Apple's secrecy was partly about surprise. You know, they want to they want to delight people with an unexpected twist. Hence, one more thing. But right. I I I think this takes it to a new level in my mind of like, oh no, it is a core business principle. This isn't just a like, hey, it'll be fun to do this. Uh, this implies that it's like, no, we have uh, manufacturing, meeting consumer demand, supply chain, and surprise. <laughs> these, are, these are all right next to each other in importance in a lot. You say surprise. I'll say controlling the narrative you know, and, and the public relationship to the product as much as possible until it's actually on sale. Uh, and then after that, which with whatever means they have necessary. But sure, they're yeah, really, then it goes another thing, they, right? They have their whole process, though, is super tightly controlled and crafted, and uh, anything that disrupts that, because you know they have four or five people they reach out to, they get early products, they write glowing endorsements of them, and how magical and mystical, and 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 how they're going to elevate humanity, and and if the four or five people who get those early releases don't say that, they don't get early releases in the future. This is all this is all very very carefully controlled and orchestrated, and having somebody anywhere in the world. You know, being like, look, I got a picture of the new thing. The keyboard's on the wrong side is not what they want. Oh, sure. Uh, or no, even praising I, I, I've always, the product. I've always assumed yeah. that. I just like the part of the letter that focuses on like, also, we want customers not to know what to expect. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's it's not just that you're controlling the message. It's it's one that one of the reasons you're controlling the message is coming right. out here, I guess. That's interesting. Uh, the sharing economy... It's in pink now. <laughs> the sharing economy <laughs> isn't new. Uh, one of the most famous examples of the sharing economy uh, is ride sharing, uh, which is really just ride hailing. But then there's Airbnb has become an entire hospitality industry heavyweight. Uh, there are even rental services for cars like Hui uh, that let you rent out your own car when you're not using it. So what's left? Swimming pools. CNET has a write-up of Swimply. Yes, Swimply, like simply, but with a W. If you have a swimming pool on your property, you can rent it out to strangers to swim in. Swimply, autocorrect almost got me there. Swimply started in 2018 and is now available in Canada, Australia, and the U.S. with about 13,000 pools listed. Now, you might think nobody wants to swim in a stranger's pool. You might think nobody wants strangers swimming in their pool. And you might think that even those that did, the pandemic would have killed this business because uh, who wants possibly infected people in their pools? But instead, it experienced 5,000% growth year over year in 2020 and became profitable because of the pandemic. Because this is one of the few things that you could go do. Uh the average rental cost for a Swimply listing in the U.S. anyway is about $40 to $45 an hour. And Swimply plans to expand. Uh, they've got a new service in the wings called Joy Space, where people can list their home gyms, their home theaters, their tennis courts, their music studios. One of the things they pointed out, Patrick, is that instead of uh, you having to take someone somewhere, instead of you doing something for someone, this is, this is more you're just offering them the use of something. I, I I am I am I am fascinated. Uh, I also am laughing because my first two Airbnb experiences involved an unfinished space and someone scraping lead off the side of the place we were staying in using heat guns. Um, so uh, you know I'm much I'm much actually at this point much less afraid of a 
swimming pool if it's filled with chlorine than I am about any Airbnb experience. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, 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 I'm not surprised. I mean, they, they're they're going to figure out people are going to figure out a way to get a side hustle at anything they can share. And, um, and a lot of this is no longer the the go go two thousands. Anything goes at your own risk. Right. Uh, Swimply is already providing insurance to people. You know, and, and that was my big question. Yeah. Like, because the liability insurance on this would have to be nightmarish. And uh, they they are they are covering it now. Saying you're covering it and the details of that coverage are two different things. Uh, I I haven't looked into how good their coverage is, but that's already part of the conversation here. And, you know, a lot of the CNET article was people saying, yeah, I was a little nervous the first time I tried it out, but got in the pool, had a good time. Everything was fine. Uh, (laughs) I guess the thing to do on Swimply is look for the place that will let you use the restroom because some some people will list their pool, but be like, you get no you get no house access. You're on your own, which. I think would be not in your own best interest as the pool owner, frankly. I'm really trying so hard not yeah. to say what's in my mind right now. We should move to the next story. <laughs> yeah, uh, from uh, from possible uh, swim pollution to chips. AMD announced an entry-level RDNA 2 GPU, the RX 6600 XT, designed for high-performance 1080p gaming. Offers... 33% more performance than the 5600 XT, 9.6 teraflops, supports ray tracing. So it's 1080p, but it supports ray tracing, as well as Radeon Boost and some anti-lag features, 32 compute units, 8 gigs of GDDR6 RAM, draws 160 watts of power. But you're probably still going, okay, those are great specs, but why 1080p? The Verge notes that IDC estimates two-thirds of gaming displays sold last year were 1080p. People have high refresh rates, and want some power in their GPU, but 4K is wasted on them, so why pay for that? AMD says the 6600 XT can run things like Battlefield 5 at high frame rates on max settings for 1080p. The AMD RX 6600 XT GPU costs $379, shipping August 11th, if you can get one. AMD is not pulling any punches. It said, we're doing our best to get supply, but the demand is unprecedented, and also the supply constraints are real, so we are working with those situations at hand. It's amazing when you when you look at, uh, for example, look at the Steam survey, and I'm shocked right now because only 68% of Steam gamers are using 1080p monitors, and that's down a significant, probably down 20% um, from a few years ago. So that's kind of odd. It, it, it literally 1080p people don't upgrade their monitors; they don't want to. They're going for frames per second. They don't want anything that's going to slow down their their ability to go out and frag people. Um, I'm really curious to see how many minutes these are available for uh amd's not doing any cards it's all third parties um availability is still going to be problematic uh and you know one of the things that the upside is probably will work as a 14 as a as a 25 60 by 1440 card um but man, if you were ticked off about the uh, thirty sixty pricing, this is not making you any happier at this point. Although it will compete with the thirty sixty, and they're talking about like two x sixteen sixty performance. So nice card if you can get it. Um, we wait with bated breath. Yeah, I mean. But- the ability to even get one aside, which kind of renders right. the rest of the conversation academic, I know. But uh, it, what do you think of three hundred seventy nine dollars as the price? I, you know, it's 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 really interesting. I was watching uh, Alina's Tech Tips article, and one of the things he pointed out, he flat out said, "It doesn't matter what I think about the sixty six hundred XT because uh, there's little that can be done about GPU pricing right now." 
on the upside, everybody's predicting that that supply is going to release in, in in 2022. Intel's coming online with what promises to be a very very powerful GPU in 2022, or more powerful than you would think based on the integrated graphics on CPUs. Um, supply lines are becoming less problematic. Um, and China's crackdown on crypto mining, so all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of used cards being dumped on the market, which is going to ease some of the demand there. But really, at this point, there's issues with parts, there's issues with building, there's issues with like, you know, BGA grid array assembly on the the the, the, CPU, or the GPUs that can get made. Uh, and the other thing is, is even if you look at all that and, and Linus did a great job walking through this where, you know, like I know this from trying to get my house wired coppers up like, you know, a huge percent, like every material, every raw material um, is up like, yeah, it's uh, copper has doubled in the last year. Um, Server orders have blown up. So there's people are competing for memory. Memory has gone up uh, 50% on contract pricing. And spot pricing, i.e., buying small amounts because you need it now up 100 or 200 percent. Um, it's a mess right now. The supply chain's a mess, and you know, and there's still scalpers, and there's still people out there trying to buy mining cards. So, yeah. good luck. Hopefully, this is going to ease. I'm kind of just accepting it's going to be 2022 uh, before I find the card. Yeah. Now that I've said, and I'm saying that also out loud a lot, so that I accidentally walk into Micro Center. And there's, there's a, 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 what you're looking there. for right there, yeah. Uh, if you're buying yeah. a GPU, may the odds <laughs> be ever in your favor. Uh, yeah. By the way, if you want to get a better handle on this whole logistics issue that's causing the supply chain shortage, we've, we've covered it pretty well from the production side. Uh, but tomorrow, on a special weekend edition of the show, we're going to have James Thatcher, Big Jim, on to explain... The shipping side of it, the logistics side of it. Why aren't things getting, like even if they can make them, why aren't they getting to where they go? So look for that in your feed tomorrow. Now, let's turn it over to Dan Campos, who wants a word with all of us. Did you know that the word Android means a human with a male robot appearance? The female equivalent of this word is gynoid. I just wanted to share that information. Another thing I can share with you is el podcast de Noticias de Tecnología Express. Escúchalo todos los viernes. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Uh, we mentioned China a couple times on this episode already. China is continuing to crack down on technology companies. The Ministry of Industry Information Technology told 25 tech companies, including Alibaba and Tencent, to audit and rectify eight types of problematic behavior, including pop-ups, data collection, and storage, as well as the blocking of external links. Uh, crackdown has been underway for months now. Some of it is is stuff we would like in in, in any country, uh, stopping anti-competitive practices, protecting consumer security. Some of it is letting big companies know that the Communist Party is still the boss. But another reason that the Chinese government has expressed itself often is that it wants these companies to invest in solid tech that helps China achieve self-sufficiency. In other words, it wants the ability for these companies to make microchips, batteries, robotics, advanced materials. They don't want them making new social media platforms, new e-commerce platforms. They don't want any of that soft stuff. China has criticized what it calls, and this is a quote, disorderly expansion of capital. That's a change in direction. China's very much been, up until Xi Jinping, will allow a little bit of free market because we get a benefit. They seem to be changing their tune. And stock markets have gotten the message. Alibaba and Tencent built their businesses on platforms like social messaging and e-commerce, lost 9 and 11% of their stock price, respectively. Chinese chip manufacturer SMIC, though, which has the Communist Party's favor right now, up 25%. Wall Street Journal notes that these industries may not grow as fast, though, which could negatively impact China's economy. If they're shutting down the fast-growing platforms but encouraging slow-growth chip maybe isn't even going to sell outside of China. They won't employ as many people. They won't have as many sales. They won't get as many taxes. And it's definitely giving the U.S. an opportunity to impede Chinese companies. Reuters sources say the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has stopped processing registrations for U.S. IPOs from Chinese companies because it wants to craft new guidance for investors about the risk of the regulatory crackdown in China. They want to be able to say, if you buy into this Chinese stock, they may tell you you can't register new users after your IPO, like happened to DD Shusheng. Beyond that, other countries are pursuing direct subsidies for the exact industries China is trying to encourage. Uh, in fact, the U.S. Senate voted for $52 billion for new semiconductor fabs. The EU has committed to doubling its share of global semiconductor manufacturing to 20%. South Korea approved up to $65 billion to support semiconductor makers there. Japan promises to match any other country's semiconductor aid and encourage data centers to locate there. Similar plans are underway in countries for EV batteries, rare earth minerals, and other sectors. So it's not like China can boost up its chip industry and dominate the world. They're going to have a lot more competition. And while all regions face the same question of whether these investments will pay off, which they may not, Governments attempting to direct the chip marketplace is about to become commonplace. Former venture capitalist and current governor of Virginia, Mark Warner, told the Wall Street Journal, The truth is you could have a panel that makes exactly the right decisions. Technology could leapfrog. And five years later, the valid choices you made in 2021 could look pretty stupid. That's his exact words. However, he still doesn't oppose the subsidies. He believes if the U.S. doesn't intervene to get fabs built there... They will be built in China instead. He says this is the kind of bet America has to make. So it's it's not so much about, for me, whether I think these folks are wrong or not. It's that we need to get used to the fact that this free, open global marketplace, we're like, well, China builds the chips, but it gets assembled down in Taiwan and it gets sent all over the world. That's changing. We're going to have a distributed supply chain. We're going to have countries trying to control that supply chain. And it may not be as vibrant or adaptive as it has been in the past because of that. And it's, it's interesting to look at it's, uh, you know, if you've ever dropped a glass or a light bulb 
and you're thinking about gluing it back together. Like I, I feel like China's done so much to sort of encourage a whole lot of economic creativity, entrepreneurship, and now they're yanking it back. And I'm one, I'm really, really curious to see how that's going to end up and whether or not they have as much, well, they do, uh, how extreme this is going to get over time. It's also really interesting looking at the idea that, uh, you know, uh, there's there's some part of me. It's like globalism is okay if we're just exporting jobs to reduce the cost of labor, but now it's impeding with our ability to make huge amounts of money. You know, like they're just realizing, like, wait a minute, all of these things we need to do these things for these things, or to keep our, you know, I I'm really curious to see how this ends up. I have zero issues with with bringing more manufacturing or especially fabs, you know, to the United States. Uh, I am really curious to see how that bet looks in five years. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some some really non-political reasons why uh, having yeah. fabs decentralized might be a good idea. Uh, wages are catching up, certainly in China, but even in India. Yeah. Africa would be your place where you could find some cheaper labor these days. Uh, so this may not be good for subcontinent uh, countries in that they could have been getting fabs and maybe they won't. Uh, but given that there is a more level playing field, it may make more sense for your supply chain to be like, yeah, make it near where I'm going to sell it. I should well, have factories but, all over the world. If I'm going to sell to South America, I have some fabs there. If I'm going to sell in India, I have some fabs there. If I'm going to sell in the US, Canada, have some fabs there. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, between the the trade wars involving the tariffs, um, you know, the fact that, that COVID uh, – revealed some some of the downs like you know all of this the, the the thing i keep seeing place after place after place is like all of this just in time global manufacturing works flawlessly as long as nothing breaks down but as soon as there's a glitch somewhere we end up in the situation where we are now where you can't get x you can't get y you know oh this company's going out of business or that company's failing and all of a sudden everything that made it sound fantastic is goes from being or everything that was was such an extraordinary way to generate or maximize profits suddenly becomes a liability because you don't have cash reserves or you don't have resiliency because there's no competitors. Although I, I, I would say, and, and you'll hear this tomorrow when we talk to Jim, Jim Big Jim, uh, the, the global supply chain weathered the pandemic quite well. Uh, it's sure. catch up and it's the, the, the misunderstanding of, of potential demand that was the problem. And the other thing I, I keep thinking is, but how often is a pandemic going to happen? Do we want to design our entire supply chain for the worst case and lose the efficiency? Or should we be well, maybe, you know, just striking a little bit of a middle ground there? Because you know, you're not going to have a pandemic happen every year. I, I, I agree. Well, and that's the question. Is it seatbelts, which it's like, well, it's better to be safe to, than sorry. Or is it something more restrictive where you're like, well, now we've actually reduced the efficiency that's that's the question to ask right i think it's a valid question yeah uh if you've watched any of the olympic archery competitions this year you may have noticed a graphic show up in the lower left with a number and bpm and that number is often in the hundreds and you'd be forgiven if you're looking at those archers standing there calmly eyeing their target to think maybe that BPM refers to the beats per minute of the death metal they're listening to as they prepare to loose their arrow. They can't possibly be that calm and have that high of a heart rate, but they do. 140 beats per minute is the heart rate of the archer, if you see that. And I've seen that on the screen. Not every archer, but some of them. The heart rate is being determined by software from Panasonic that uses video from standard cameras placed 12 meters from the shooting lines, and it measures subtle variations in face color that correspond to pulse. 
All 128 archers were asked for permission to display their heart rate on the official Olympics video feed. All but six of them agreed. So there will be some where you won't see it uh, if they didn't agree. But the rest were like, yeah, I'm curious. I want to see everybody else's too. So sure, show mine. While research hasn't found a connection between a lower heart rate and better aim, the number definitely conveys the level of stress each competitor is feeling. And you can see when somebody shoots 10, a lot of times their heart rate is lower than it was when they shot an 8. Panasonic is not the only one developing this kind of technology. Microsoft and Alphabet also have projects underway, and all of them are aiming toward medical settings, not specifically archery. Uh, doctors could use them with patient permission to help spot problems with a patient's conditions by having a, a complete, accurate record, maybe catching some spikes in the heart rate. Uh, sports are also interested, though. Archers have pursued accurate measurements in the past. They previously wore some watches that weren't really accurate or consistent. Panasonic says its system is better because it works on all skin tones. And even biathlon is considering using it in its sport. That's the one where you run and shoot combined. So heart rate <laughs> definitely is going to make a difference well, there. <laughs> you ski and then you stop for like 30 seconds. Oh, you're right. You and, ski, and not run. Correct. Thank you. Well, um, I didn't. Uh, sorry, biathletes. Uh, of course, alongside the legitimate uses are concerns that contactless medical measurements could be used without people's permission or even awareness if the wrong person is using this technology. You know, I, I was I was shocked to realize that biathletes apparently, you know, they're at like ninety percent of their of their uh, their maximum heart rate when they're doing the cross country skiing part, but they only drop. 15 or 20 percent max when they start shooting so they actually sort of shoot in between the heartbeats to have that that super you know holding a, a, yeah. i just i couldn't believe they could hold they could shoot that well with their their hearts going that fast but it's fascinating yeah it really Inter- interesting stuff and i i was i was like that can't be accurate that guy can't be standing there with 143 <laughs> beats per minute but it apparently apparently it was true his right, like, head's going to explode. Like, seriously. <laughs> it's a classic case of everyone else's job looks easier when you're not doing it, where I'm like, oh, they're just standing there, going to shoot an arrow. And it's like, no, that's a lot of tension, and that's a lot of stress. And there's a lot of it's – a, it's, a, it's a sport, for real. All right, let's check out the mailbag. Our story on the Intel NUC yesterday and its modular CPU cards reminded Jerome that back in the early 1990s, Wells American developed a plug-in computer where the CPU was on a replaceable card. Jerome says the more things change, the more they stay the same. That, True. There are no new ideas under the sun, basically. Uh, but that was, a good, uh, that was a good blast from the past. Thank you, Jerome, for uh, reminding us of Wells American. Keep those emails coming. Uh, we've gotten a lot. We read every one of them, uh, but send it to us. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Shout out to the folks who support us at the top levels. Master and Grandmaster John Atwood, Pat Sheeran, DeGracia A. Daniels are just three of them. Thank you all. Uh, and thanks to our brand new bosses. We're still a couple people. We're still three people shy of having more patrons this month than last month. But thank you to Matthew Stein, Alice Victoria Nichols, Michael Babcock, and Dan Odenthal. All just started backing us on Patreon. So uh, you got us closer to meeting that goal. Thanks, Matthew, Alice, Michael, and Dan. You guys are the best. And if like three more of you can get in there before the, the, uh, the 1st of August, that'd be great. Let's thank uh, Len Peralta, who is here illustrating the show. What have you drawn for us, Len? Well, you know, um, I have been talking on my stream about how my neighbors are putting in a pool. 
next door and I'm watching them with, uh, with, with you know, just with a, with a keen eye. Uh, so, of course, I had to draw uh, the story about Swimply, which is the Airbnb for pools. And, you know, I guess the question you ask yourself is what could possibly go wrong? Sure. Well, um, this is one of the things, lots of things. This is one of them uh, is that possibly the person you rent from is, is, is uh, housing a sea monster. Back there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Possibly. They are not getting a good rating on Swimply if they did not disclose no, that sea they're monster. Not. <laughs> uh, the sea monster, you know, who knows? You never know. But um, uh, I'm interested in the Swimply. Uh, maybe you should be too. But anyway, if you want, if you like this uh, Swimply poster, uh, you can get it on my Patreon. If you go to my Patreons, uh, patreon.com forward slash Len or at my online store at Len Peralta. Uh, store.com. Is that, is that right? I haven't talked about this in a while. Like so I com <laughs> is what it says here on my doc. So yeah, then I'm, so. then yeah. that's, that's where you need to go folks. Thank you so much. Uh, it's good to have you back, Len. You're swimply the best. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm that. No, come on. And Patrick, You're swimply the best. Oh, stop. Patrick Norton. It was delightful to have you two days in a row. That was great. It's so strange. So wonderful. Yeah. It was good. Uh, if if people weren't have, listening closely yesterday, where can they find more of you? Well, I have a quick correction. The uh, Radeon RX 66 XT, twice the performance of a GTX 1060, 1060. not 1660. Got it. That's okay, that's yeah. a that's a big sense. delta there. Yeah, yeah that is. Sorry about delta. that. Yeah, and, no, uh, no worries. You can catch up with me at uh, twitter.com, twitter.com slash Patrick Norton or at Patrick Norton. Or uh, if you like home theater and audio and are looking for a podcast to listen to, please check out avxl.com or search for avxl on your favorite podcatcher. Excellent. Sarah Lane will be back on Monday with Rich Straffolino. I'll be off doing no a little more stuff, but they will be here for you. We're live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. This week's episodes of Daily Tech News Show were created by the following people. Host, producer, and writer, me, Tom Merritt. Host, producer, and writer, Sarah Lane. Executive producer and booker, Roger Chang. Producer, writer, and host, Rich Straffolino. Video producer and Twitch producer, Joe Kuntz. Associate producer, Anthony Lemos. Spanish language host, writer, and producer, Dan Campos. News host, writer, and producer, Jen Cutter. Science correspondent, Dr. Nikki Ackermans. Social media producer and moderator, Zoe Detterding. Our mods, Beatmaster, W. Scott S. One. BioCow, Captain Kipper, Shaq Shid, Steve Guadarrama, Paul Reese, Matthew J. Stevens, and J.D. Galloway. Modern video hosting by Dan Christensen. Video feed by Sean Way. Music and art provided by Martin Bell, Dan Luters, Mustafa A., Acast, Creative Ast Arts, and Len Peralta. Live art performed by Len Peralta. Acast ad support from Trace Gaynor. Patreon support from Stefan Brown. Contributors for this week's show included Scott Johnson and Patrick Norton, and our guest this week was Nate Langson. Thanks to all our patrons who make the show possible. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business 
to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Give them a gift they'll never forget because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age. Like their iconic full zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code GRATEFULAG23.